when I found crypto, I was like, holy cow, like this is lightning in a bottle opportunity. It was wild west. I remember getting into crypto, buying it on, cause I saw someone's FOMO social media post about the price of Bitcoin and how much money they made. And so just like everybody else, I FOMO'd in and bought at the wrong time in the market. But what I recognized was two things. Number one, I started just kind of nerding out on this whole blockchain idea and how it is connected philosophically with the idea of freedom. And then also just the velocity the asset class has because it's nascent, because it's new, because we're on the left-hand side of the bell curve when you look at it on paper, like the market cap is under a trillion. It just has a lot of asymmetrical upside. The last thing about it is it's just, it's an accessible asset class, you know, like it's a accessible high velocity early opportunity for people and you can outperform the stock market relatively easy. And crypto is kind of like a zoo. You go and there's animals there, but there's all kinds of species. And you just need to understand that with certain species of crypto, you get X with certain species you get Y and with other species you get Z and understanding how to make those judgments and evaluations is really the part of becoming a mature investor rather than just a crypto slot machine gambler who, you know, just trying to catch lucky sevens. Break free from modern day slavery. Live the freedom trinity of financial freedom, time freedom, and location freedom. Live in true fulfillment with a foundation of growth and balance in health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Let us show you the way. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest to talk about cash flowing in cryptocurrencies, which is a topic I know a lot of you want to hear about. And to join me speaking about that today is Josh. Josh, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, brother. Thanks, man. Honored to be here. Well, Josh, a place that I really want to start, where I always start, is what's giving you the most gratitude today, mate? Uh, being a father, being a husband, uh, I'm not good at either one of those, but I absolutely love it. I have uh, teenage daughters, so it's full court press at my house. I'll be rushing off to an eighth grade basketball game here when we, you and I finish and um, having a blast running businesses and yeah, living living life to the fullest. Beautiful, man. Well, Josh Rhodes, um, it'd be great if you could tell us your journey, your story, how you came from where you were to where you are today as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, uh, it all started in a very rural town in Alabama. Uh, I have an accent, as do you, uh, depending on what part of the world your listeners are in. Uh, my vowel sounds are just very slow. And that's because I'm from um, just out in the country here in Alabama. And I grew up one generation removed from extreme poverty, um, lots of generational poverty and stuff on my side of the family. And um, I was the first person to go to college. Not that college is any kind of answer to anybody's problems, but uh, it does usually in indicate some level of socioeconomic um, barrier and or lack thereof. And and I, the only reason why I went to college is because I was a good baseball player. Um, but yeah, man, my I, growing up, there was not a lot of financial literacy. Wealth building wasn't really even an option. Uh, my dad was a Vietnam veteran, came home from the Marine Corps, started a business selling lumber, you know, just a blue collar sales job. And my mom was a stay at home mom. My grandmother, for example, you know, she she made spaghetti with ketchup sauce in spaghetti sauce with ketchup because she couldn't afford ragu in a jar and tomatoes weren't always on the vine. And 
so we grew up, you know, my dad kept us out of poverty, just barely, just because he worked so hard and uh, owning your own business comes with, you know, a little bit more profit margin than the nine to five. And so um, grew up, played baseball in my life, went to college uh, to play division one baseball here in the States and met my wife there uh, in college. And uh, after that, after college, I'll kind of zoom through this, this part because um, I'm probably older than the average person listening to this podcast. Um, I got into employment and quickly realized that I was not really an employee, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that I'm an entrepreneur and sales guy and um, capitalist and I wanted to increase my net worth. And the thing that really kicked it off was I read you know, this crazy book by this crazy guy named Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it kind of blew my doors off. And um, it changed my paradigm, I guess, of, of making money and passive income and real estate. And so I got into real estate investing, started some businesses, and I've, I've, I've got way more businesses in the graveyard than I do um, still standing, but that's part of it. And um Fast forward a whole lot, you know, I discovered crypto uh, about five or six years ago. And when I did, I was like, okay, wow, like this is an asset class in and of itself. I've been learning about asset classes, you know, as I've gotten older and been a business owner, whole life insurance policies, real estate investor, all the different asset classes I was beginning to touch, you know, except for like the boring stuff like bonds and uh, et cetera. But when I found crypto, I was like, holy cow, like this is lightning in a bottle opportunity. It was wild west. I remember getting into crypto, buying it on because I saw someone's FOMO social media post about the price of Bitcoin and how much money they made. And so just like everybody else, I FOMO'd in and bought at the wrong time in the market. But what I recognized was two things. Number one, I started just kind of nerding out on this whole blockchain idea and how it is connected philosophically with the idea of freedom. And then also just the velocity the asset class has because it's nascent, because it's new, because we're on the left-hand side of the bell curve. When you look at it on paper, like the market cap is under a trillion. It just has a lot of asymmetrical upside. And as a guy who is cool with volatility um, in the near term, I was in love because I knew that that's where you can really make the most profit. And the last thing about it is it's just, it's an accessible asset class. You know, like if you want to go buy a multifamily apartment building, there's some barriers there, some legit financing barriers and sourcing barriers. But if you want to go buy $10 of Bitcoin, I've got a strike app on my phone right now that I can, you know, connect my fiat banking account to and have Bitcoin in, in the next 15 minutes. Um, so it's a, it's a accessible, high velocity, early opportunity for people and you can outperform the stock market relatively easy. And it just had all those traits and I just fell in love with it and became obsessed and wanted to become a subject matter expert in it and have put a lot of time, effort and treasure into it. And I've I still absolutely, I love it as much today as I did when I started. Beautiful. So before you were saying, talking about the asset class, are you talking about cryptocurrencies in as, as an asset class or are you talking about Bitcoin? Because I kind of look at them as being like a little bit of yeah. separate categories. Yeah, I think um, when, I th when I say asset classes, I mean large umbrella, ca umbrella categories, stocks, bonds, insurance, businesses, and then crypto and i could easily make the argument the same the same separation that bitcoin and crypto are very are two different um items or classifications definitely so maybe you could say that crypto is the sixth asset class and bitcoin's the seventh um especially for all the bitcoin maximalists uh listening out listening out there but i'm a i would classify classify myself as um a little bit more mercenary uh, in, in my, in the way I deploy my capital and, but very focused on the utility of certain things. Uh, I do, I do agree. You cannot conflate, uh, the nature of Bitcoin with Ethereum or any of its 
cronies uh, on that side of the wall. They're just different. They're they're different animals. It's like going crypto is kind of like a zoo. You go and there's animals there, but there's all kinds of species, and you just need to understand that with certain species of crypto, you get X. With certain species, you get Y, and with other species, you get Z. And understanding how to make those judgments and evaluations is really the part of becoming a mature investor rather than just a crypto slot machine gambler who, you know, just trying to catch the lucky sevens. And what are you guys focusing on over at Crypto Yol? You guys investing in different um, categories of cryptocurrencies? Yeah, a lot of the people in my mastermind, um, are busy professionals, you know, there's, they're going to have um, deployable capital that they want to invest more intelligently. You know, they might be maxing out their 401ks or uh, their IRAs, or they might, uh, you know, be fed up with the stock market or index funds. Uh, they might be looking for something that can compete with the S&P 500 in a month uh, rather than waiting years. And so uh, we invest in altcoins, we invest in DeFi, and we, of course, invest in longer-term stores of value like Bitcoin. Um, we have a, I have a, I have a, a business model for the portfolio that I created that I call the crypto flywheel strategy or method, and it in and it involves three wealth strategies inside the model. So it's it's just a way. Honestly, it's very simplistic when I when you hear me say it, but it's just a way to keep you from being a gambler. Because most people who dabble in crypto investing, they're like, yeah, I bought some Dogecoin because Elon was talking about it on Saturday Night Live, and you know they see headlines and social media stuff. And I bought some Shiba Inu and the meme coins and all that stuff. And people end up getting uh, fatigued because they buy, hold, and hope, and that hope never pans out, and they're not really investing in utility or true use cases. So what we do with the crypto flywheel method is we harness cash flow, appreciation, and leverage. All three of those aspects or characteristics are available in the world of crypto, and we just talk about how to use crypto to achieve cash flow, how to achieve net worth appreciation, how to achieve leverage so that you can buy more cash flowing assets. And that's just kind of like our methodical way to double and triple our investments over time and um, yeah, outcompete the stock market and, and other areas that people are already invested in. And is DeFi your main strategy to achieve that? I would say it's uh, probably... 80-20 principles. It, it probably is a 20% factor in what we do. Decentralized finance is really powerful um, in uh, when it comes to like being a liquidity provider um, and earning some really aggressive annual percentage yields, but you also have to know how to evaluate those treasury pools and those ecosystems that you're a part of uh, because they also can, you know, disappear like vapors if you if you don't know what you're looking for or if you don't know what you're doing in terms of criteria uh, judgment. But yeah, we use DeFi to create daily yield. And we, then you basically end up with a self-fueling car to some extent because you can earn, you know, percentages a day on your capital or fractional percentages a day on your capital. You're basically getting a dividend it's like a, it's like dividend stocks, except every day instead of every quarter. And so every day you're getting this dividend from, you know, yield farming, for example, or trading bots, whatever. You, you've got some kind of net proceed every day. Well, what do you do with that net proceed, right? Well, you can, you can take it off the table and use it for lifestyle expenses on some level, or you can um, recompound it just earn yield on top of yield and use the rule of 72 um, in a very concentrated time frame. Usually I do that for 30 to 90 days. And then I take the yield on top of the yield, the ultimate yield. And I use that to buy the blue chips kind of in the appreciation part of the flywheel, the blue chips that are um, at bargain prices, you know, the chain links, the bitcoins, the ethereum's, polygons, the things that we've done our research on, 
we know that it's going to be a part of the social fabric and commercial fabric that we're that we live in and that really helps us understand um and stay disciplined instead of just like you know turning the crank on the slot machine again to use that analogy it, it gives us a methodology to expanding our net worth with crypto and you can start fractionally you know that's the great part about it is you can start with a small bag and you can snowball it up relatively quickly again in comparison to waiting 50 years for the stock market to deliver your retirement so there's a lot of pros and cons to it but we have a blast doing it and we use that we use that method pretty and DeFi yes plays a significant material role so you're not necessarily cash flowing on every acquisition or every purchase that you're making or every move that you're making um, within your portfolio, but it's part of the strategy is to be able to cash flow, to give to buy you some time to, to get the excellent buy opportunity um, to buy some more cost effective coins, so to speak, Are you cash flowing in other ways. Yeah. And just to clarify, one thing is like, I'm a big believer in dollar cost averaging. You know, if you've been dollar cost averaging, if you're technically, if you're a Bitcoin miner, you're enjoying the dollar cost averaging um, effect over years and years because you're getting that median price point rather than the extreme highs or the extreme lows, which no one can trade perfectly anyway. And so you're able to get that median price average where you're almost always in the black or in the profit, no matter where you are. So the DeFi farming and yield farming, de decentralized financial yields that we're earning is basically acting kind of like the Bitcoin mining rigs would act. They're producing a, uh, a yield that we can use as dollar cost averaging fuel or firewood, if you will. Um and then, yeah, we have other little strategies that we deploy, you know, um, for example, um, a week ago in our mastermind, I did a call with another member um, who has been doing what we call yield flipping, which is when you go on to a central exchange, which I'm not a big fan of central exchanges, and I'm not a big fan of hosting money there for long periods of time. They're kind of like, I think, uh, Charles Hoskinson of uh Cardano uh, said that I loved this quote. He said, central exchanges are like public restrooms. They serve a purpose, but you don't want to live there. Um, and that a lot of people in 2022 were burned by central exchanges who, you know, mismanaged their balance sheets and went bankrupt and took everybody's money with them. So the central exchanges are kind of like casinos. They've got all of these different games to play. And some of them are more, aggressive than others and i don't want to name names but there's a there's one specific central exchange where i mean they have they have a very busy interface when you log in they've got something for everyone some place to put your money and all they're trying to do is to get you to hold your money on their exchange they want you to because they need that liquidity they want that they are basically a bank that needs your funds to stay on their exchange so that they can continue to make trades at high volumes because they make money from trading fees and in, in, in exchange and swap fees and so one way they do that or they motivate you to do that is through staking and we've all had, you know, your Coinbase or your Crypto.com or your KuCoin or Gemini. It doesn't matter. They all have had staking. You know, here, put your Ethereum here, put your USDC here, put your Bitcoin here, and we'll pay you 2 to 9% annual percentage rate or something like that. Well, there's a little, there's little strategies, though, from time to time that you can find that are like, instead of staking it for six months or staking it for a year, you stake it for a day and a half. And you can get like 127% annual percentage yields in a day and a half, not the not realize you can't realize the 127%, but you get a day and a half worth of that rate of return. Well, we have, I have a lot of members. I do not personally do this, but this is just an example to your question of different ways we cash flow is you can just simply do the staking for a day and a half. Sometimes it's like 1.6 days and you might stake a thousand dollars and wake up, you know, and make a little bit of fractional money 1.6 days later, pull it out and then restake it in another option. Cause they're always changing the menu of staking. And so, but they're almost always really lucrative so there's little things like that. You can also, we have trading bots and 
uh, various trading bot desks that have the whole the whole algorithmic approach to uh, buy low, sell high, way more efficient than day trading and trying to be glued to your screen all day. Uh, but that's just a couple examples. You know, we we get into NFT flipping from time to time. Uh, there's lots of ways, I guess, going back to the very beginning, where because we are where we are in the timeline, there's a lot of opportunities to to flip and swap digital assets for extra cash flow. If you're watching the market and you know what's going on. Exactly. You got to have your ear to the ground. Um, and you don't really, you can't really just like buy something. And now in a bull market, it's actually fascinating in bear markets. They're pretty punishing. Like you have to be very disciplined and you really got to know in a bull market, you know, every, every idiot can spit in the wind and make money. It's just part of having liquidity in a market. It requires far less liquidity or far less discipline. Um, but yeah, I mean, since since December 2021, it's been it's really difficult to make money in any asset asset class if you do not have a method to your madness. You know, the gambling slot machine approach does not work. So earlier, you touched on the concept of dollar cost averaging. For our freedom hackers out there that don't know exactly what that is, it's actually a strategy that people can use in the stock market. They can use it in gold and silver with precious metals and also use it in crypto as well. Um, do you want to just break that down and kind of explain it in layman's terms? So we yeah, can that is. You'll hear a lot of people say DCA for sure. Um, and a lot of people have... I would say elastic definitions of what dollar cost averaging is, but let's just give a hyper, uh, just to give a, an example, an illustration here. Let's say you just really love Bitcoin and you believe in it and you want to gobble up as much as you can, but Hey, look, you got a paycheck, you got a mortgage, you got power bills to pay groceries, kids, all that stuff, you know, like life comes at you fast, but you, you've got margin every month, you know, maybe you, Maybe you're saving $250 a month. I'm making up numbers. And you want to just dedicate all of it to building your Bitcoin purse. Well, you can set up, you know, either automated or put a calendar reminder on, on your phone, whatever you need to do. And you just know either every day or every week or every month that you're buying X amount of dollars of Bitcoin or whatever digital asset or whatever whatever asset you want to own. And so methodically, systematically, you're just always buying. That's the idea. You're always accumulating. It's very much kind of like a Warren Buffett, you know, approach is like, I, I'm buying valuable things and I'm not interested in selling anytime soon. It's, it's about the opposite of having a speculation strategy as you can get. Because what you're saying to yourself is, I believe in this thing. I know that it has value. And I have a limited amount of funds that I can attribute to it, but I'm going to do it with discipline. And so dollar cost averaging is the method or the practice of buying that asset methodically, no matter what the price is with a fixed amount of money. And obviously you can go up and down with that money investment. It's, that's totally your call. Uh, but what it, what it allows you to, over time, what it does is it allows you to have a more averaged out price rather than a lot of people. Great example. I think, that, don't quote me on this statistic, but it's kind of gross. Like it's something in the, like in 2021, when all-time highs were were hit, in with Bitcoin and in cryptocurrencies, I think again, don't don't hold me to this. Something like forty percent of all Bitcoin owners bought during that season, like first time owners, mm -hmm. and so there was like this massive, you know, flocking to this asset during its highest price, and so now they're their their average price of that they've got a long way to go to get back to break even um and it's really difficult but if your dollar cost averaging uh it's a lot less painless when you have bear markets when you have corrections when you have dips but also 
you can still enjoy the bull markets and have, you know, profits um, that you can take when things go hyperbolic and euphoric as they do in, in cycles. Yeah. And so like on that example, if someone was buying Bitcoin at 15, at $10,000 a coin, and next month they're buying at $15,000 a coin, and the month after that, they're buying it at $20,000 a coin, and the average would be $15,000 a coin. And they're kind of yeah. like hedging themselves yeah. against the ebbs and flows of it. Um, and you were kind of touching on this. An interesting thing is, and David Morgan came on and spoke about this, is that dollar cost averaging is usually a strategy that people talk about when you're buying into something. But it's also mm -hmm. a way to sell out of something because yes. we don't know exactly where the top is. And yes. instead of blowing our whole load on guessing where the top is, we could, you know, sell a portion off. Um, yes. where we think it's at the top and then kind of keep, keep selling portions off and we might get closer to catching the top that way and kind of averaging it out. Yeah, I agree. We, um, I agree with David and we, 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 we use the phrase, you know, make sure you take your profits on the way up. Um, some people call it scaling out, but knowing um, when, when you're an investor and not a gambler, investors look ahead with a, with a goal line, with a finish line in mind. We, in, in crypto, y'all, we call it our ferociously specific desired outcome. It has to do with a date and a dollar normally. Now, obviously it's hard to put a date on when bull, bull cycles are gonna start and begin. But we do, when we buy in or when we're dollar cost averaging into something, we look ahead and go, okay, let's just take Chainlink, uh, for example. It's a, it's a crypto that I really adore. Um, and I and I, I I purchase it frequently, um, you know. Chainlink. I remember when it was eighty cents, and by November of twenty one, it was fifty five dollars. Um, did really well on that asset. And moving into, and you don't know that November is the top. And so I started taking profits around fifteen twenty dollars. Now some people listening be like, "Man, you left a lot of money on the table." Yeah, but that's called greed. And that's what gets people locked up. And the number one reason that I've found in my exposure to retail investors is the, the number one reason that they don't make money. Like if you fail at investing, it's because you have failed to take profits and you bought, you may have even bought low, you may have entered a market low, but if you don't have a profit taking strategy uh, to your point, then you end up not know literally not knowing where you are in the market, you could crest the top of the wave on the charts and come riding right back down. I know a lot of people who bought um, during the COVID crash, they bought low and then they rode it all the way up November 21. And then they stayed, they didn't take profits. And now they're where we, now they're right here where we, you and I are at the time of this podcast and they're in the doldrums. And so it's just painful. And then that's where you see like a lot of the capitulation and fatigue sets in. So it's good for you, almost like an athlete. It's good for your to be conditioning um, because markets move in waves. You'll always have another opportunity to re-enter at a lower price. You'll always have another opportunity to, to take profits. It's just having an anticipation mentality is a, is a big part of it. And to be able to psychologically handle the ride too, because Warren Buffett's got a saying that says only dead fish go with the flow. Um, <laughs> I like to use that all the time because it applies to so many things in life. And I think one of the things that applies That's to good. is the fact that if you're waiting for the general public to be doing the move that you're just about to make, it's already too late, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's other strategies out there. So I'm curious, I know none of us really want to get into the weeds of predicting exactly what's going to happen, um, but what, what scares you the most over the next, say, 12 months in the crypto space, and maybe even if you wanted to branch out on any macroeconomics on that? What scares me the most would be, um, well, it it's not would it, it's when it happens is the, the use of central bank digital currencies by governments. That's my biggest, honestly, my biggest fear, just on a pragmatic level. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of those guys who welcome a level of regulation from governments. 
Um, again, just from a mercenary capital standpoint, when that when regulation happens, and hope it hopefully it's regulation light. Um, but we all know what happens when governments step in; they just continue to increase their foothold. Um, but hopefully, we'll have a season of light regulation that will enable pension funds and um, you know sovereign wealth funds and and big money players to enter into uh, the Bitcoin market, the crypto markets, and have you know one, two, three percent exposures in their multi-trillion dollar portfolios. Um, the only reason why they'll be able to do that is because there's, you know, the United States Congress said so. It said it's okay. Um, and then it'll it'll give all of the agencies like the SEC and the CFTC guidance, guidance on how to moderate the and play referee in the markets and everybody will feel safe and it'll, it'll change things. You know, the landscape will be different. Um, it'll be less of a wild West. Some of us will miss the wild West. Some of us will be glad it's gone. It's just going to be, you know, preferential, but, um, but yeah, ultimately I really hope that the CBDCs, um, central bank digital currencies do not turn into, um, for lack of better words, I guess, just like a social credit card score um, that starts to affect our our freedoms. That's my biggest fear. And some at this point would say it's more conspiracy theory, but, you know, think about all of the stimulus checks that the U.S. government has written in the last few years and how much easier it would be for them to facilitate that and cheaper to facilitate that through you know, if you and I had our had our own central bank account, <laughs> and uh, they don't have to send a check to our mailbox, they can just airdrop it on in a CBDC in the form of a, a U.S. dollar, Australian dollar, British pound, whatever country you're in, and boom, it's there. It's just like instant stimulus. Well, what prices come with that stimulus? You know, for us as citizens. So I'm I'm. I'm I'm fearful of that to some extent, but I'm optimistic that we'll get some incredible profit-taking opportunities in the next 24 months, uh, simply because it will have rules of engagement, you know, and uh, that's a big deal when it comes to early markets like we're in with crypto. So let's talk about that in a minute. The upside, um, touching on what you're touching on here. I think people who say that something like that is a conspiracy theory are probably just not educated enough on the topic right. because right. I'm seeing the US trying to roll out bills like this, um, the UK, Australia, Europe, they're all working on the same concepts of bringing some kind of centrally controlled digital currency to the table. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of those documents behind the scenes and some of those documents say that in those circumstances, when the banks get in a situation in the past where they needed to be bailed out, they no longer need to be bailed out because the systems work differently. It's very advantageous for the powers that be. Um, it's not very advantageous for the general public. Um, so I am too. I'm, I'm you. I'm, I'm a little concerned about it. And I think it's more of a time of when is that going to happen as opposed to if it's going to happen. Mm. Um, and, you know, this, it's definitely something for us to look at there. One interesting point I just wanted to touch on super quickly, and Mark Moss actually touched on this recently in one of his videos, and he was pointing out the fact that when it comes to regulation, the Securities Exchange Commission actually governs securities, and most cryptocurrencies fall under that category because of the way that they're structured. The interesting way that Bitcoin was set up is it's not actually a security. Yeah. So when regulation comes in, put cryptocurrencies in one category and Bitcoin in another, which is going to be, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because they're two very different um, yeah. categories, you know, from, from totally a regulation standpoint. Yeah. I think there are a lot of early signals that the CFTC will be the regulating body of Bitcoin as a commodity rather than a security, which is good. It's great. I mean, it's what we want. And um, the, 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 Again, governments tend to create 
confusion, uncertainty, but like, you know, if you follow the SEC's relationship with XRP and Ethereum, um, SEC, you know, at a previous date deemed Ethereum not a security uh, when by, you know, if you use the traditional Howey test and all of the other things that they tout um, probably is a security. Uh, and then you use, uh, you take the XRP though, and they've got they've had us they've had a lawsuit with us XRP since 2018. That's probably created more damages to XRP holders than the SEC was trying to prevent from happening with their lawsuit to begin with. And um, yeah, I, we really need we this is that's that's when you have like government bureaucracies starting to take autonomous power or taking it arbitrarily too far. We need someone to come in and make laws that either hold those bureaus back or tell them that they can proceed with enforcement. And at the end of the day, that's what I was saying. Like we, we need light regulation. I, I hope it's not too heavy handed. I hope it just draws the lines in the sands, make some definitions, and then we can all make our investment decisions based on, you know, what we need in our own lives. I just wanted to quickly say that um, Josh and myself, we're not CPAs, financial advisors, or anything like that. This is just a conversation we're having. We're giving our two cents on things. It's for educational purposes only. It's up to you guys to come up with your own financial decisions and reach out to your own financial advisors and CPAs and attorneys to make those decisions. This is just our opinion and for educational purposes. I want to point that out. Um, and one thing that I really notice is that you look at the stock market, you look at cryptocurrencies, you look at a lot of markets, and human psychology is the main thing that drives it, which goes back to only dead fish go at the flow, because usually the best buy opportunities is when everybody's scared. And usually the best time to like hold off on things is when everybody else is going for it. So, you know, we've got Bitcoin mining funds. We've been pretty bullish in the Bitcoin space. And I've seen... Uh, investor hesitancy from a massive scale since Bitcoin's dropped and a few things have happened in the crypto world recently. Can you speak to that? Can you can you speak to you know the average investor and um, you know what would you kind of what kind of uh, thoughts would you share with them to ponder on? Yeah, I mean to get to to borrow words from Uncle Warren some more. Um, I think I again paraphrase quote from Buffett that there are there's no such thing as bad markets just bad market entries um a lot of the people who are fatigued right now had a bad market entry they literally put their boat in the wrong boat ramp when it comes to investing uh, at the wrong time um and so it's e it's it's easy to become discouraged by price action in the short term so two things that I always like to remind myself is number one, what's my time horizon on this capital here? What is it a short-term time horizon? Is it long-term? That will inform what kind of assets I'm investing in to begin with. Um, and then number two, to understand what's going on in the market, you know, no, understanding that the crypto market has pulled back 73, 75% uh, since November, 2021. And you know, it might go down a little bit more. There's a good chance it can. No one knows if it will or not. But the the upside, if you look back at history, if, or if you just take Bitcoin's price action in historical cycles, you know, if you look back at the charts, there's always corrections, there's always cycles, there's always depressed prices, and then you go to all-time highs, and the cycle repeats itself, very much like the S&P 500 does. Um, and so... I would say to anyone who is experiencing fatigue in the crypto market uh, to zoom out and uh, to identify where you are on the map. It's kind of like going hiking without a map and a compass. Um, if you don't pay attention to what's happening on the macroeconomic geopolitical scene, there's a lot of narratives that I'm following right now. Um, when I say narratives, I mean, you know, developments or possible de developments that could um affect prices negatively or positively, you know, things uh, like um, the war in Ukraine, creating a massive amount of uncertainty in global markets. Markets hate uncertainty. If that war were to end, no matter how it ends, honestly, 
that's this is an apolitical comment whether it ends with ukraine falling uh, completely to russia or they come up with a peace treaty whatever when that war is over the markets will experience some level of rebound um that's one narrative the another narrative is the big one which is the fed you know there's a great there's a great saying don't fight the fed well the fed has been punishing everyone who owns assets uh over the last nine to ten months by increasing rates at, at the highest rate hike uh you know acceleration that we've experienced in our lifetimes um at least since the early 80s and that ha- that that pace that the Federal Reserve has been moving at has been breakneck and punishing. But the narrative now is that the bond markets are telling the Fed, hey, this ain't this is not this is not what we need to do. The na- the United States national debt at it just cannot be paid if they continue to raise rates the way they're uh, hawkishly signaling that they will they will do. Um, and inflation, a little bit of color to that, because I'm actually in the real estate world and seeing behind the scenes. I mean, we still been buying mobile home parks through this time. We're actually buying like 50% occupied properties. So we've got a really unique niche in the market. Um, but we're seeing like lenders desperate lenders dropping off. We're seeing people, title, uh, companies firing tons of people and laying people off. A lot of loan underwriters are being laid off. There's like there's massive understanding yeah. movement happening behind the scenes. It's not being spoken about anywhere. No. Like doors are closing and all this. And like the general public has no idea because nobody's really talking about it yet. But I mean, there has to be some kind of like impact to that as well in lag, you know? Yeah, exactly. In speaking of lag, that last variable I was talking about is CPI, you know, that consumer price index, uh, the inflation score. And I just, you know, you got to watch it. That's the that's the narrative that kind of plays hand in hand with the Fed. The Fed, that's one of their two mandates, and um, it's go, it's 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 been coming down, and I think it's gonna it's it's plummeting. Um, and that is a lagging metric that the Fed looks at and tries to make real time decisions in. So they're always behind, just almost like by definition or nature or DNA. And so we're now in in phase two of what's traditionally called the Fed pivot, which is the funny choreography that the Fed always does during these cycles that they just won't admit it. But we all from outside perspectives can look in and go, of course, this is what you always do. The, the, the second step is what he did, what federal, um, the, the Reserve Chairman Powell said, and I think in his December 5th or 6th conference, uh, he, he came out and said, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to raise three quarters of a basis point. We're going to do half of a basis point raise uh, and moving forward. Uh, we're going to continue to raise rates, but not as aggressively. That tone was very much a contrast compared to the previous four to six months of hawkish uh, actions and verbiage from him. And so now we're moving into like even today, uh, he came out and made his January speech and he did not even mention monetary policy. He basically gave a speech on how the Fed has to stay non-political. He talked about like environmentalism and how the fed doesn't play a role in that and in, in that and how it doesn't play a role in the decision making so i'm just sitting here going wait a second the he's he's been on a rampage and he didn't even talk about that rampage anymore and he's not even projecting any longer like he has every other minute meeting so i'm going okay then uh then my little in, internal theorist comes out and, and when i start looking at these narratives at uh, at work and coming together i'm like okay Strong, again, not financial advice, not telling anybody what's happening next, but it's like, okay, well, maybe like what happens if he comes out in February and says, this is the last raise We're we're going to, we're going to flatline this um, and we're not going to raise rates for the time being for whatever amount of time that's phase three of the pivot. And then the phase four is, Hey, we're actually cutting rates. Yeah. 
you know, we've got mortgage brokers. I, I spoke to one the other day. I have a, I have a real estate marketing agency and we obviously talk to mortgage brokers a lot. And I was speaking to one guy kind of on the sidelines the other day and he was just like, yeah, I, my phone has not, I have not received a phone call in four weeks. <laughs> this was, this was early, early December. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, to your, to what your, your example is just like, okay. Yeah. I mean, like the, it's starting to constrain even the real estate asset class, which is usually the last to start feeling it. And honestly, the most painful one that the economy feels is when uh, the constraint happens there. So, yeah, I, I think there's some really interesting narratives that we've got to keep our eye on. Another one is the SEC lawsuit um, against XRP, if XRP gets off with a slap on the wrist or if there's some settlement or if the judge rules in their favor, it'll be a boon for crypto and, and Bitcoin too. Um, so watching those narratives, but specifically the Federal Reserve is a massive thing to pay attention to. And it doesn't take an Ivy League degree to follow what the FOMC is doing. It's just, it, it doesn't, you know, raising rates is bad for assets lowering them and printing money is good for for ass, for assets now to to the cbdc discussion another outside narrative that i have or opinion that i have is that i follow the dxy pretty closely which is the us treasuries index or the strength of the us dollar in relation to the five major fiat currencies of the world like the pound the yuan uh, the euro, et cetera. And the DXY from November of 21 to November of 22 was on March upward and to the right. Well, when the DXY is going up, that means the US dollar is punishing every other asset class and every foreign economy on the planet just because things are getting more expensive because all of the commodities of the world are settled in US dollars. So it's getting more expensive to buy wheat and gold or, or oil and uh, et cetera. So the DXY has rolled over. It's starting to lose its value. It's starting to lose its support. And um, when you turn on the money printer and you start doing all the crazy stuff that the US government's done the last 10 or 15 years, um, it's going to continue to weaken that dollar. Um, over and over again, cyclically. And then you start bringing in CBDCs, which really only accelerate the abuse of governments in the monetary system. So it's going to be interesting, like part, like there's a little devil on my shoulder that says, yeah, bring on the CBDC, because that'll just put the dollar out of its misery earlier. <laughs> it's shorten its life cycle. And maybe the world will turn to Bitcoin as the world reserve currency faster than it anticipated yeah and i know like you know you and i are both not fans of the cbdc holistically because we we don't like the freedom loss and all this kind of stuff that would happen from it but we see it as being some kind of inevitable change that had happened and right now i agree with you dude it's like boiling frogs man it's like <laughs> how, how long are they going to drag this thing out um yeah. much longer than i you know i'd rather just rip the band-aid off man but yeah this is this is going to be a slow burn and i think that's part of the psychology behind it because then people get to the point where they'll be like solve the problem and then they can step in and say well glad you asked because we've already got a problem uh solution prepared for you it's kind of like all part of their strategy but unfortunately i think this one's going to be a really slow burn yeah gradually then suddenly i think is the way to the way it normally goes yeah, yeah. Because once, I mean, once the first real legit domino falls, then it, it, I think it could be quite interesting, like something oh, yeah. we've probably never seen in history. Agreed. But while all these things happen, this is not a, a episode about all the doom and gloom. We have to be aware of these things. We're definitely in times of uncertainty. There's also a lot of abundant opportunities and things to be really, really excited about. So on that note, what's got you most excited about 2023? Um, 2023 here in the markets, uh, specifically, man, I, I think, I think the economy is going to suffer longer than the markets do. I think it always does. I think the markets are usually four to six, maybe sometimes eight months ahead of the economy. Um, so what I'm not excited about is just the, you know, the, the drudgery of the main street economy and the, the suffering. 
what I am excited about is I think there's going to be some great opportunities to take some potentially life-changing profits for many people if they are paying attention. Um, if any of those ne previous narratives that we're talking about or we mentioned play out, um, there will be some significant market movements uh, in the in the profit-taking realm, for lack of better words. And that's going to be, I, I would just say everyone needs to be forewarned, forewarned like, there's going to be another shot at this. You're going to, you've been in a bear market for 12 months or, and, and it's been terrible. You're about to get another shot. Don't miss it because wealth is built. When you take profits on the way up, you hold your capital on the sidelines, you wait for the market to correct and you get back in. And that's what I'm most excited about is when those waves crest and you're able to finally go I won this round from the market rather than because most because what happens in markets is that retail investors. And what I mean by that is all of us normal folks on Main Street that aren't sitting in a government bureaucratic chair of power or Wall Street bank. Um, those those are market makers. Those market makers are going they a lot of times entice us into the market. They lure us into the market with green candles and FOMO. And we put our hard earned dollars in there only to become the liquidity for some bigger uh, titan to take and sell and dump on us. And then we have all this coin or stocks or whatever, you know, uh, security it is uh, in our hands that is less valuable. And so you need to be aware that um, markets rebound and anticipate that. So I'm anticipating a market rebound when that happens. I don't know, but I'm, I've got my, I've got my game face on and I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, do you feel comfortable sharing any of the indicators? Say, for example, let's choose Bitcoin. Um, would you be comfortable sharing some of the indicators that would let you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're getting back in the game, baby? Yes. Without doing technical analysis on, on your podcast, like I would have an extreme level of confidence if Bitcoin surges through 35, 38, 38.5 in price that we're in a significant reversal of what we've been experiencing um, the last year or so. Um, 40K would almost be like a no brainer, yeah. But you know, that's a long way from here where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people um, who entered recently would double their money or more. I think there's a really good chance that we see, you know, 10 or 10 or 15% leg down from here. Um, but there's with every day that goes by is a really good chance that we put in our our bottom back in June of 2020 or December, um, December of 2022. And with every day that passes, it becomes statistically less less likely that we've we'll see another bottom and more possible that we start to reverse course and head head back up. So, yeah, I would I would say once you once you. Once you cross that $30,000 psychological line, you really need to be looking around going, okay, wh what are we going to do here? And that's when you really need to pay attention to what Bitcoin does. Um, and again, the macro narratives that support that price action. And then when we start bursting through 35, 38, you're, you know you're in a, a reversed market, in my opinion. Thank you. So, you know, I've got some some joint venture partners and people that I kind of work with behind the scenes um, in this investment world. And they're actually telling me that your mastermind is pretty badass and that you guys are moving and shaking and you have a really good platform. So for someone who wanted to take on that kind of venture, what would be involved for them and what would it look like and, and how yeah. are supporting yeah, I have a I have a mastermind. It is um, geared toward the the person I mentioned earlier in the podcast. You know, you're busy, you're a professional, you don't want to do day trading. I'm not a day trader. Um, you want to harness all of the power of the different classes of crypto. Um, you want to outperform the stock market and 
I, and just just for the record, like I, I'm a real estate guy uh, who loves crypto. Basically, is 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 kind of the the school I come from. And uh, I'm also a business owner. I love I love businesses. I think businesses probably are one of the greatest ROIs on the planet. Um, but when it comes to crypto, if you want to be involved in my mastermind, um, my strategy, my method takes 30 minutes a week to manage it. Once you're up and running, we have a, a small cohort training um, model where you go through some training modules on the front end. And then you're a part of a community for six months to a year um, where we basically crowdsource market intelligence for each other. And we provide human support so that you're not on an island, doesn't feel like you're dealing with some big corporation or some random trading desk that's off seas. Um, if you need to talk to someone, if you need to jump on a Zoom call and do a screen share, if you need to ask somebody a question about your wallet or transferring one coin to another or swapping or whatever that might be, you have human support. Uh, we keep it, it's a, it's a boutique mastermind. It's small. It's, there's a couple hundred members. There's not 30,000 rainbow chasers in our discord group trying to get rich tomorrow. Uh, it is all about people building net worth. And we also do alternative investment stuff as well. You know, we talk about short-term rentals. We talk about e-commerce. We do uh, a few things, but 99% of what we do is crypto flywheel related. So I'm assuming there's some pretty cool kind of networking, problem solving benefits yeah. from being of that part of that kind of group too. Yeah, I've got some great, I mean, the members are the best part of my program, you know, everything from syndicated real estate funds, you know, hedge fund managers, financial advisors and wealth management advisors who are trying to just stay on the front end of the curve so that they can help their clients when it's regulated or business owners, key executives, sales executives, um, we're, I would say, I would say that we're a family oriented people. Like if you don't have core values that are familiar or, or friendly to family values, then it's probably not a great place for you. Um, you know, we have a member right now who, whose kids in the NICU and we're, we're helping, we're helping them out. So, and not, you know, very few of us have met in, in, in real life. So it's not just about money and greed. It's about us growing as people and having a network of um, aligned core values that we can um, help each other out with. So that that's, that's one of the awesome parts about crypto y'all, you know, I, from where I'm from, we say y'all instead of you all. And uh, it, it's indicative or representative of the Southern hospitality that I want the rest of the world to enjoy. And so I kind of wanted to merge that hospitality with crypto, the greatest financial, you know, uh, instrument ever created. And putting those two together, we get crypto y'all. So if they want, uh, if people want to learn about that, they're welcome to uh, honestly email me directly. Um, or go to crypto y'all.co slash crypto farming. And I've got a little uh, application there. It's just, I ask you a few questions. It's kind of a qualification thing. And then after they fill out that form, it'll put them onto my book or my scheduling uh, calendar. And I talk to every new member that comes through. Uh, it's a quality over quantity thing. So um, that we're in alignment. Uh, I don't have some massive sales team or anything like that. We keep things small purposefully. So if you're interested, you can go to cryptoyall.co slash crypto farming, um, or you can email me josh at cryptoyall.co and we can set up a time to chat that way too. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. And for all of our freedom hackers out there, we're going to have links below in the show notes to the email and also to access that mastermind as well. So I know you're a freedom advocate, and obviously we are here at Freedom Hack Radio. So what's some things that you're doing in your life right now and maybe things you're looking to do over the next 12 months to expand your freedom? Um, man, so freedom is such a big, big deal. You know, like I'm very involved in my state pol political scene. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on a board of a uh, independent news agency uh, here in the state of Alabama. Uh, interacting with a lot of state lawmakers about Bitcoin specifically and the state treasury possibilities. You know, there's a lot of states in the U.S. who have been uh, ahead of the curve, like Wyoming and Montana, 
when it comes to crypto um, friendliness. So I, I'm, I'm really trying to pave the way for my kids so that they can grow up in a crypto friendly state and also one that is fiscally responsible um, and not dependent on DC. Um, so that's one thing I'm just doing my best putting my shoulder into just from an activism standpoint, if you will. Um, other types of freedom, obviously, like um, financial freedom, I continue to um, invest in other businesses. I'm launching three e-commerce stores this month. Um, I have a consultancy on the side where I help folks uh, with their online businesses, and um, I have a blast. But my main focus is crypto, y'all, and the the freedom achieved in in taking profits in a in an awesome crypto environment. And uh, let's see, location freedom, man, my. My family, we love to travel. We've done all kinds of cool trips. Um, we're not afraid to go to London or Europe or uh, somewhere else where it's either sunny or uh, snowy or whatever season we're in the mood for. So um, we we are we're going to do what we want to do and try to try to do that before the kids all graduate high school and we lose the, those those moments. Beautiful. Any awesome trips coming up or anything on the cards? Yeah, um, I don't know if you've ever been or heard of Charleston, South Carolina, but going to be visiting there really soon. Um, awesome food scene, you know. Um, I'm a big fan fan of South Carolina. I think it's one of the most underrated states in in America, and they've got great beaches, they've got great food, um, a great culture, and excited about it. I'm sure you'll be digging into some seafood down there. <laughs> Absolutely. Beautiful, man. Nice. And so uh, you got kids and how do you instill these kinds of qualities? Because like, really, we're talking about the financial stuff, but you and I both know that at the end of the day, it doesn't really have anything to do with money. Money isn't the thing that we want. We either want our time yeah. back or we want to be able to contribute to the world or our family or people in some manner. So how are you like instilling these qualities in, within your family? The biggest thing I'm trying to help my kids with and this may be right or wrong and i'm sure there's plenty of fathers out there listening that would correct me um the, the number one thing that i want my kids to have is the awareness that i did not have um both financially but also from like a, a purpose standpoint uh, I, I wasn't aware until after college that i could really choose what i do with my time <laughs> You know, like we were, we were in the, we were in the machine, you know, we were part of the system when we got spit out of the other end of the conveyor belt. And so I'm, I'm trying to like help my kids have that red pill moment that like, Hey, you're an autonomous person. You're an independent thinker. Um, think for yourself and don't go with the crowd. And one way of doing that is just helping them understand that you can earn money. You don't have to have someone else to earn money if you don't want to. And I'm kind of starting there. Obviously, we have, you know, faith traditions and things like that that we're instilling as well. But over, you know, probably one of the most practical things is just helping them not be be afraid to be an entrepreneur if they want to be. Um, I believe in entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurs are exceptional people that provide exceptional solutions to really, really exceptional problems. And I think that without them, the the as Ayn Rand uh, famously put it, you know, the Atlas will shrug and stop being productive and walk away from the 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 field and be done with innovation. And I hope my kids can actually persist through those kind of discouragements and be productive uh, on their own terms. So that that's that's the best shot I'm doing. I, I am I doing am I doing it successfully? Ask me in 10, 15 years. <laughs> Good for you, man. You, you know, you're making the moves and that's awesome. And I think, you know, especially teenage kids with the way that that kind of culture and age group in this day and age in the Western world actually acts, so many people are crowd followers. So many yeah. people do what other people are doing. And for someone to be able to stand in a room full of 30 or 100 people and have a different opinion, be able yeah. to voice that. I think in today's environment could be one of the most like beneficial qualities in like 10, 20, 30 years from now. Totally agree. Awesome.
Well, really appreciate you coming here today, sharing a lot of wealth of wisdom about our markets and giving us your two cents and telling us about your mastermind. Before we wrap up here, mate, any final thoughts? Yeah, I would just tell everyone to uh, be encouraged, you know, especially in the markets. Brighter days are ahead and there's a lot of uh, innovation. And whether you know it or not, the industries that you interact with every day, uh, supply chains, storage, digital storage, host, internet hosting, cell phone towers, internet of things, it's all going to go, it's going, it's going blockchain. So embrace it or die. is <laughs> kind of the, the, the motto at this point. That's interesting. You know, I've got investors, older investors in our investment group that are like, all right, I'm into this crypto thing now. I suppose I can't resist it any longer. It's happening. So like, yeah. right, what's the deal? Let's yeah, have to convalesce. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thanks a lot. Josh Rhodes from Crypto Y'all. Really appreciate you coming here on Freedom Hack Radio today. And for all of our Freedom, Hack, uh, Freedom Hackers out there, until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.